Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome everybody to a very special episode of the Almost Sideways podcast. This is our year in review episode as we're going to be looking back at 2019 and the year that was and everything about it. It is also special because we have the entire Almost Sideways team with us today. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. With me, as always, are Todd and Zach and... Our special guest, Adam Daly, is we're going to be re uh, releasing our top 10 lists of 2019. Uh, Adam, how you doing? I'm extremely nervous, actually. I uh, haven't uh, recorded myself in a very long time, but I'm ready to do this. I think this year was really solid for film uh, overall, I, I would say. So I'm excited to share my list with you guys. Well, I, it's obvious that that voice has changed, you know, that was a lot <laughs> in, the, in the few months that we've... Uh, We've been without you, so uh, exactly. I, I don't know how we're even going to recognize it. I but uh, <laughs> I, I had a squeaky voice once. <laughs> yeah, once upon a time. It's 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 uh, good to have you on. Uh, let's let's go through our our typical uh, our typical uh, shenanigans to start with here. Zach, what are you drinking? I am drinking some fabulous agua fria from Starbucks. You know, there's no way I can make it through this podcast with alcohol. It, there, there, ten films? Are you kidding me? I can't make it through one film usually on this podcast. It's way too much work, way too much mental drainage. Well, and it doesn't help also. So I, we, we're recording this. It's a, it is January 15th. It's a Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m., which at Pacific time. Which means, Zach, I can see by the clock behind your head that it is ten ten. Yeah, I got. Right now. I got to be at work in like nine hours. That that would be fun. Yeah, yeah. This is usually the time of night that I fall asleep on the couch. So I don't blame you for going agua fria. So, uh, so all power to you. This will Todd, be either, you either our best episode ever or our worst episode ever. It's gonna be one or the other. I think it's gonna be our finest hour. Todd, <laughs> what uh, do you got? Well, because I drank it more times than any other thing in 2019 on the podcast, I went with the Old Faithful, the South Shot Small Batch Bourbon Whiskey. It's just one of my favorites. Nice. Very nice, very nice. Good to go with an old standard. Adam, what do you have tonight? Well, I went to Total Wine and More. I got a couple of different options. I found this beer out of Belching Beaver... Uh, Belching Beaver Brewery called What's in the Hops? What's in the Hops? So it's an IPA, or no, a Hazy Indian Pale Ale. And then also, I have a little bit of whiskey as well. What's in the hops? What's in the hops? I think, that, I think that's what it's going for. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, it has actually the... Uh, Movie references the, are always great. The seven cast, like, on the, the bottle. I can get that added up there. Very nice, very so, nice. Yeah. <clears throat> So I decided to be really tricky today, and uh, this is this is a brewery I've 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 drunk this year, um, but it, and it's a brewery name of why I went for it. We're unveiling our top tens of 2019, so I'm drinking a beer out of Unveiled Brewery. Mm. Yes, that's right. I'm I'm that I'm that guy. Uh, it is a mango IPA. Um, it's kind of weird. It's got the bitterness of an IPA, but also the sweetness of mango. And it's one that I drink. Uh, if you guys remember the the like half half rabbit, half skeleton. 
Well, this one's like a half falcon, half skeleton on the can, so... Mm. Anyways, there you go. Unveiled. So we're unveiling with unveiled. There you go. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. Cheers. I like the sound of belching beaver better. But Belching beaver, what's in the box, is pretty good. Yeah. 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 Maybe it's just where my mind's going with it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, let's... Uh, we usually banter and BS for a while here, but we've got so much to get to. Let's just get right to it. Um, we're going to start things off by going over, like, a bottom bottom three of the of the year talk about the worst that was before we talk about the best that was uh so uh i'm gonna go to uh i'm gonna go to adam first adam give uh give us your bottom three just go three two one all the way through uh, with any descriptors or anything yeah give give some give a little bit of description there uh number three i uh bottom of my list other than some crappy netflix films that aren't worth talking about um i go with x-men dark phoenix uh completely uh crappy film simon help uh, kill Kinberg had two times to do this film right and failed both times. Uh, number two is Neil Marshall's Hellboy, which I was kind of excited for, but it destroyed his great hunt storyline, which and completely wasted Shasha Lane and her big uh, coming out party. And uh, my least favorite film of the year is actually kind of a guilty, probably uh, one of those you get drunk with and have a lot of fun with. It's called The Fanatic, directed by Fred Durst. Yes, of yes. Limp Biscuit. It's completely uh, self-indulgent. They even quote like uh, how, uh, like, oh yeah, Limp Biscuits the shit back in the day, yeah. And then also Tra- Travolta went full retard. <laughs> ah, ah, that that would, uh, yeah, ne- never do that, never do that. Yep. <laughs> All right, uh, Todd, how about you? Bottom three. Uh, my, uh, well, I had 140 movies I've seen this year, so my... Holy crap, dude. Wow. Uh, my <laughs> number 138 is Men in Black International, which is just an atrocious remake or reboot or whatever it is. Uh, the Red Sea Diving Report is on number 139, which stars Chris Evans. It's just unwatchable. And the worst movie that I saw in 2019 was Dark Phoenix and we reviewed it on the podcast it's I mean it's one of the worst movies in the last couple of years did a hundred and how many 140 140 140 yeah I didn't even see 140 movies in 2019 like yeah that like like not even restricted to 2019 movies you're insane dude yeah. all right Zach bottom three all right, my bottom three were all movies I mentioned. We've talked about on the podcast. I didn't put Dark Phoenix in my bottom three because I don't know. Looking at Sophie Turner wasn't as bad as looking at the other movies that some of the other movies I saw. It was a pretty <laughs> terrible movie. Um, number three, uh, my third worst movie was Velvet Buzzsaw, which uh, was with Jake Gyllenhaal. Allegedly, oh, Jake, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in that movie was inspired by my uncle uh, Jerry Saltz. So, I don't know, there's some sort of incestuous connection, kind of like Jack Fa- Jack's father-in-law's real estate business, I don't know, but it was pretty bad. Uh, second worst movie of the year, Bright Brightburn, sad to say, a Kansas-set movie, clearly not filmed in Kansas, but uh, I don't know why we saw that movie. Uh, what were we thinking back in, back in the good no old days idea. of, you know, July or whenever we saw All it? All I have to say is it was oh. Todd's idea. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Yeah, well, Elizabeth Banks, right? <laughs> And then the number one worst movie of the year, I can't believe, with four nominations at the Academy Awards, Ford v. Ferrari. Absolute 
garbage, trash. Wow, worst of the year. Worst of the year. I mean, I I may be overreacting a little bit with all the critical praise and the four Academy Award nominations for for one of which is for Best Picture, completely inexplicable. But uh, I'm sickened and disgusted by that movie, and uh, never want to watch it again. If you want to watch a good version of that movie, watch the Adam Carolla documentary on it on the same topic, which was much better. Yeah, I, I keep hearing people, everyone I hear talk about that movie, loved it. And I'm like, all of us hated it. Adam, have you seen Ford v. Ferrari? No, and I'm not really looking forward to it because everybody's like really loving it on like the little circle that I have on, on YouTube friends and stuff. Like it's like number one of the year, th- number five of the year. Like it's in the top five on a lot of people's list. But hearing your guys' takes, I'm like, I'm kind of leaning towards what you guys are saying because it's not something I'm really looking forward to anymore. So it's it, I'll watch it hopefully this week, but just to have say that I watched it, but that's about it. Yeah, I, I mean we all get it was thrice declined, but uh, I, I'm not putting it in like the bottom of the year, but still it wasn't it wasn't great. All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a real quick bottom four because there are only four movies I gave under two stars to, so I'm just gonna rattle through those. Um, I saw 45 movies on the year, so almost a hundred less than Todd. Which actually is impressive, because in 2018, still to this day, I've only seen 47 movies. So it was actually a really good year for me. Um, Anyways, my bottom four, uh, number four is Brightburn. Zach already mentioned it. Yeah, I don't know what we were doing. Uh, Number three is Midway. Um, I was hoping for so much out of that, and it was, was, yeah, Roland Emmerich, World War II, didn't work out. Uh, Number two, Dark Phoenix. I mean, we've trashed it enough. And number one, number one with a bullet, like by far the worst movie I saw this year. The only movie that was like cringeworthy from start to finish is actually the first movie I watched from 2019. I reviewed it on this podcast at the same time Zach reviewed Bel- Velvet Buzzsaw. It is the movie Polar, starring Mods Mikkelsen, um, graphic novel adaptation. It's just laughably bad kind of like what adam was saying of having you know one of those get drunk and have fun crapping on a movie polar might be one of those but it was just it was just bad just horrible 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 so all right i'm done talking about bad movies let's talk about good ones so we're gonna go through our uh our top 10 at the end we'll give some honorable mentions of some stuff that just missed our list uh, I'm really excited. Zach and I were talking before this. We think there might be like a record number of overlap. Uh, I, was, I was thinking that too. I was thinking that. So, too. Uh, so yeah. we'll see what ends up coming out. Yeah, I, um, I told Todd. I think the over under six point five. Six point five overlap between all four. Yes. Uh ooh. Mm. Todd, I think that's not. Todd said he's going to take the over, right? I take the no. over on that. I go under. Yeah, I'll take the under, too, oh, okay. I, I'm looking at mine, and I don't know. I'm going over. I'm going over. Yeah. Okay. Should we do so, the movies uh, so we might, uh, we haven't watched yet that could make our list? Yeah, we, we, could, we'll, we'll, we can mention those. Yeah, let's mention those up front of what uh, what we haven't caught yet that might be on might be on the list. So, uh, and and at the end of this also, I'll be, uh, I'll be revealing our, our almost sideways top five of the year, too. So we kind of always put out a collective top five of what's our consensus of the best films of the year. So, Adam, I'm going to you. Give us, uh, tell us what you what you still want to see, and then uh, reveal your number 10. All right, so a couple of movies I want to see is uh, Waves, Ad Astra, Queen and Slim, 
Direct Across Concrete, Leaving Neverland, and Honey Boy. I think uh, all those are really solid. Uh, my number 10 film is uh, from directed by Tyler Nielsen and Michael Swartz called The Peanut Butter Falcon. It has Shia LaBeouf, Dakota Johnson, and introducing the Zach Goddeskin. Goddess can't pronounce his name wrong, but... Uh, this movie is a really coming of, uh, not coming of age, but a real feel-good film of the year. It's about a young man who has Down syndrome, which Zach actually really does have Down syndrome uh, as it deals with the person. But his character has Down syndrome, and he wants to become a wrestler. So he breaks out of his, this nursing home that he's being, being taken care of and goes out on like a um, Huckleberry Finn, um, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer type of journey meets up with Shia LaBeouf, and it's kind of a good friendship uh, film here. Uh, the whole thing is they're trying to get to this wrestling school to meet the salt wa saltwater redneck, played by Thomas Hayden Church, because of course he would be uh, this <laughs> this crazy wrestler. But it's a really, it was really a fun, enjoyable film that I was really just had a smile on my face the whole entire time. Uh, it's a very simple story, but it was something that really did the trick for me. I think Shia LaBeouf is a fantastic guy. I'm a really big fan of his. When he gets in the right role, he can really chew the scenery up. He's as, he's as electric as he's been since Fury and intriguing since Charlie Countryman. And I just, I really, really was attached to this film and just made me feel good every time I was thinking about it. So Peanut Butter Falcon is my number 10. All right. I have not seen that one. Has, has anybody else seen that one yet? Yeah, I, I watched it. I saw it, yep. Okay, so I'm I'm the lone one. I there. I don't I don't think it's very good, honestly. I <laughs> like I like, I mean I think Shia LaBeouf is really good, and he's like the only thing that saves it from being the worst movie of the year. What? Wow! <laughs> Already dishing uh, but, it out. Okay. Jeez. Uh, I agree. I'm probably a little bi biased because I do like the wrestling stuff and having Mick Foley and Jake the Snake come in. I just really made me uh, excited, I guess. So that's uh, anyway. Go ahead, Steph. I way more agree with Adam on this one. This was a charming, heartwarming movie that, like, 15 years ago, more movies were made like this. It's hard to, it's rare to see a movie that's crowd-pleasing and heartwarming and yet intelligent like I find I found this movie. For most of the year, it was in my top ten, and uh, it isn't anymore. It's in my honorable mentions, but it's a really good pick by Adam. Don't listen to Todd. He, he does not have a heart. <laughs> I'll, I'll, ha I'll have to see it. This might be like the, this is the a Terry reverse... Movie. This, this might be the reverse movie. history of violence here, where where the three of us think it's like amazing, and and Todd's just just bashing it all the time. It, it's it's the unhistory of violence. Yeah. All right. Todd, number ten. Uh, the movies I still need to see are Apollo Eleven, Honey Boy, Honeyland, Motherless Brooklyn, Pain and Glory, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and Waves. Uh, my number ten is uh, written and directed by and starring a 20-year-old kid, and the kid is Alex Wolf, who is of hereditary fame, and the movie is called The Cat and the Moon. It's He plays a teenager who uh, whose mother checks into rehab, so he moves to New York to uh, uh, live with like his, his, um, his fa father's uh, jazz friend, played by Mike Epps, and um, it's a really interesting coming-of-age story. It's like uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower meets, like, Richard Linklater meets, like, Igby Goes Down, which is, like, as high of a recommendation as I could possibly give because this really isn't my type of thing normally. But 
he's the, the this kid Alex Wolf has really learned a lot in his young career, and he is a really good writer. And his acting might be the, his least strong suit, but uh, this is a really good movie, and it's one that I, I haven't stopped thinking about since I watched it. All right. So one of the things you'll notice about our list is you'll hear several movies, probably across maybe all of our lists, that you may have never heard of before. And that's one of the things that I love about our list is we have we'll have a lot of mainstream stuff that everyone's seen, but we'll also have a lot of stuff that is small that very few, if anyone that's listening, has heard of. And this is this is one of the, I've never even heard of this movie. So yeah, me neither. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing it though. Yeah, twenty-year-old director. That's that's definitely impressive. All right, Zach, number ten. Okay, well, uh, the movies I want to see still are Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Pain and Glory, Atlantics, Honey Boy. I did not get to nineteen seventeen, unfortunately. If you saw the Kansas City game uh, on Sunday, you noticed that it was kind of snowy <laughs> out. We had a big snowstorm. I couldn't get to it. The movie I chose to go to instead actually ended up on my top ten list. So, no offense, oh. Todd. Todd texted me that. 1917 probably wouldn't make my list but um and then the and then the real uh, unknown for me is young ahmed which i said is my most anticipated of the year it's coming to theaters in february so you know my list may change after i see young ahmed uh, basically every darden film makes my top 10 list at some point so you know i keep but it's obviously not out yet uh my number 10 film of the year is uh it's a highly entertaining movie didn't make a lot of top 10 lists because it's probably considered too populist and uh, escapist for most people. Uh, it's a movie that uh, when I watched it, I knew it was a total Adam movie. And that movie is Ready or Not. I mean, yes. Ready or Not, you know what? It's not going to win any Oscars. It's not going to win the Cannes Film Festival. But man, was that movie. It was so entertaining. Like, you know, the setup takes about you know 10 to 15 minutes. But once once you get past the setup and you get to the execution of this story of a bride who's married into getting married in this in this family with a dark sort of ominous twisted past, and then they have to play this game of hide and seek. Uh, it is like preposterously entertaining. Really well made. I mean, no one's going to give this movie any credit because it's just you know it's a summer slasher kind of movie. But like it's a really well made movie. Really well acted by by the lead actress uh, Samara Weaving. Um, just thoroughly enjoyable. I can't imagine anyone watching this movie and, and, and not enjoying it like for, you know it, it had some spectacular violent scenes and it was just funny it had some stuff about class and divisions and it was just it was it was wonderful it was a great time at the movies yeah it was a great that was a good movie i like that one too that was I, so much fun i still need to see that one but uh but so zach i got i gotta share this so zach texts me his movie rating so i can get him up on the website when he texts me about ready or not he's like Ready or not, screw it. Give it three and a half stars. It's like he was he was uh, ashamed to to like it. <laughs> not ashamed, but maybe re- reluctant to admit as, as as how much I liked it. But in the last yeah. few days, it's like you know what? Screw it. It's a great movie. Everyone should see it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, some movies I have not seen yet uh, are many of the ones that you guys have already mentioned. I haven't seen Waves, I haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, haven't seen Pain and Glory, uh, Just Mercy I was wanting to see, uh, almost got to it this weekend, but uh, but missed it. Um, there, there are a few, there's some others you guys mentioned that I forgot by this point, but there's a lot that I still need to see. Uh, but I'm really happy with my list. I have, uh, I have ten four-star movies uh, on the year so far, so... Uh, so uh, it's my most four stars since 
I think 2013. So I thought this was a pretty a pretty solid year in film. And my number 10 is one of the ones Todd mentioned that he hadn't seen yet, which shocked me, and that is Apollo 11. Uh, this uh, this documentary uh, directed by Todd Douglas Miller uh, is completely archival footage, uh, some never before seen footage and remastered of the Apollo 11 mission in celebration of the 50th anniversary. Going from launch uh, to landing to splashdown, um, what they were able to do with this in telling a compelling, riveting story using just what was what was already there from the mission was awesome. Uh, I, one thing, the old, my only regret is I didn't see this on the big screen um, and catch it on in IMAX or something like that because it would have totally been worth it. But um, as much of a space nut as I am, to see a, uh, an hour and a half, two hour documentary with uh, with all archival footage about the moon landing, I mean, you can't go wrong. It, it, was, it was one of my favorites to just geek out over. So number 10, Apollo 11. I'm surprised it's not even higher on your list, Terry. I know, I know. I get there's some good movies though. It's not. I'll. I'll here's a little. Uh, little hint here. It's not even my highest documentary of the year. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that's coming up. All right, Adam, number nine. All right, number nine. Uh, this is a surprise that it's. Uh, I made my top ten, but it was something I kept on thinking about. And actually, you guys have all mentioned you have not seen it. And that is a film directed by Celine. Sayama um, called The Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, I, I, this was just a fantastic film. Uh, from start to finish, I was completely mesmerized by the performances. By I mispronounced their names, but Noami Merlant and Adele. Uh, I can't pronounce I don't know, but I'm going to butcher it. But Hainel? I don't know. But anyway, the performances. Some French are, people. Yes, I'm pretty sure this is my first French film, so. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. But what I really liked about this was I'm not really in, inter, interested in painting, but seeing the uh, with the with the task of painting this uh, this lady and uh, for a uh, future uh, like future husband possibly it was very fascinating. And seeing this the chemistry and the relationship uh, kind of blossom in front of us on the screen was just really just uh, heartwarming and also kind of sad in the same way and um i thought the characters just really kind of uh were feeling each other out throughout the whole film and you can definitely see there was like this uh, romantic interest in each other but they never really tr tried to pursue it until uh it, maybe it was a little too late um but I, I i just was completely mesmerized by it and i definitely think this could be like this year's call me by your name uh in a way and uh i just really enjoyed it, enjoyed it from start to finish the ending was just really kind of melancholy and it was i completely cannot wait to watch this film again and i was so happy that i was able to have a friend of mine send me a screener for it so uh i it was great portrait of a lady on fire nice yeah i've heard i've heard that's like one of the prettiest films of the year yeah it was I, definitely just, just the cinematography yeah is, is amazing and i know it was a big shocker when that was not france's submission for best international film this year and it went to uh les miserables instead which also got nominated. So, good pick, good pick. Can't wait to see it. Todd, number nine. Okay, my number nine is one you, uh, another one you probably haven't heard of, and that's uh, a Brazilian movie called Socrates, directed by Alexandre Morato. 
Uh, Socrates is a 15-year-old boy who witnesses his mother dying in the first scene, and then he's, like, forced to provide for himself in the slums of Sao Paulo. Uh, he has to, like, pick up his mother's shifts in order to, like, make it seem like she's still alive so that he can keep his place and stuff. It's really interesting. It's, like, a more focused, uh, like, Brazilian moonlight kind of thing. It's, like, it's only 71 minutes long, but the, the lead is, is, like, really good, and he's... The the movie was uh, produced by Fernando Mireas and Ramin Barani, and uh, which is interesting that they would take on such a small project. And then he uh, the the director won the Someone to Watch Award at at the uh, Spirit Awards last year. And so I I'm I'm interested to see where he goes after this because it really is uh, a movie that shows a lot of potential and uh, it it does seem like a lot more polished than uh, I would have thought when I'm going into it. All right. Yeah, I have not heard of that one either. Again, you, you, you're kind of populating our our, uh, our need-to-see list, Todd. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and this is another reason I've picked the under. <laughs> Inside information. Yeah, I'm going to change my list of most anticipated movies now to include Socrates, because uh, that sounds pretty incredible. Brando, yeah, it does. Reyes and uh, Raman Barani. That's like that's a that's a power couple right there. Yeah. Exciting stuff. It sounds stuff. like a Zach movie. All right, Zach number uh, number nine. Okay, number nine is also a Zach movie. Uh, it's a movie that uh, got some attention because of its Academy Award nomination this week. Um, it spent seven years in production. I read, which is pretty impressive uh, for any movie, especially an animated movie. Animated movie that was released on Netflix, no less. And that movie is. I Lost My Body, or J'ai Perdu Mon Corps, um, a, directed by Jérémy Clapin, the French uh, fr- French filmmaker. Uh, this is a really awesome movie that maybe you saw the, the teaser for on Netflix and you thought, oh, this looks pretty weird and creepy, and it definitely is. Um, it, it's not a movie for kids at all. It's a really adult story about, uh, as you can imagine, a hand that is detached from a body, <laughs> and uh, I really won't say why or the circumstances behind it, but the movie's sort of a mystery. Um, um, in terms of why the hand is separated, it actually kind of has a flashback structure to it, or maybe a better way of putting it is like a parallel narrative. One is set in the past, one's uh, in the present, and uh, we follow this hand as it wanders the streets of Paris, and uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens to the hand. You know, at one point, rats attack the hand. At one point, uh, a dog, uh, you know, uh, puts it in its mouth. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but uh, you really feel for the hand. It's pretty entertaining, and the story behind why the hand is separated from the body is pretty interesting too. Um, visually, this is an amazing movie. It's very dark and twisted. If this was an American movie, it would have been, you know, bullshit. But like, this is actually really serious uh, stuff, and um, it's really affecting and beautiful to look at. And uh, and the music score is especially haunting too. So I hope the Academy uh, pays attention to it. Uh, and uh, it's definitely one of the best animated movies of the last few years. So check it out if you get a chance. I lost my body on netflix and again that that yeah that's an easy one to check out because it's on netflix and uh and yeah i just got that nomination i heard a lot of people were excited uh in the film industry when they saw that that was that was nominated because it was kind of kind of one of those quiet unsung heroes of the year uh still need to see it but uh but definitely one i'm gonna check out a lot of people say this is a fairly weak year for animated film this is maybe a movie that if audiences saw it it might pull a shocker it'd be pretty awesome yeah, wouldn't that be something if that if that pulled it out? Because, I mean, Toy Story 4 is kind of the 
the favorite now, especially considering Frozen 2 got snubbed. But, uh, but yeah, missing, at, Link, missing, won missing Link won the Golden Globe, right? And, uh, and so you never know if something pulls out a, pulls out a, a shocker here. I think I it's think, safe to say that among people that have seen it, I Lost My Body is probably the favorite, uh, the favorite animated film. But not, like you said, not many people have seen it. It's also very right. almost almost dialogue free, so I don't know why anyone would be reluctant to see it. Oh, Klaus have you seen it, Todd? In the conversation too. I've seen Klaus. I've seen Klaus. It was okay. It was fun. Did Did you see I Lost My Body, Todd? Yeah. Yeah, I, I echo a lot of what you said. It is uh, it is something else. Cool. All right. Well, uh, moving on to my number nine. So so you guys have mentioned you know Portrait of a Lady on Fire, this this artistic French film, and then we've got the the seventy one minute Brazilian uh, drama and the 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 foreign <laughs> animated film. I'm go I'm going in the exact opposite direction of all y'all with my number nine, Avengers Endgame. My number nine. Uh, this is one that when I first saw it, I you know I gave it I gave it three and a half stars. I, I really appreciated what was going on here, and the more and more it sat with me, the more and more I realized just how amazing what the Russo brothers were able to accomplish with this in tying together ten years worth of films into one um, epic conclusion. And do it in a way that, um, I mean, you, you see what happened with Rise of Skywalker. They did it in a way that nobody is really complaining about. No one complained about how Avengers Endgame ended. And if they did, it was very, very minor stuff. Not like you've ruined the entire franchise. It was, it, it completed. It felt like the perfect ending to it. And I, I, it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was, it was kind of a masterpiece of, of comic book film. And um, the more the more it sat with me, I went back and watched it again. I, I had to put it in my top ten, and so it's making my top ten at number nine, Avengers Endgame. Great Terry pick. It is a great <laughs> Terry pick. I, I'm unashamedly saying it's it's a top ten movie of the year. Did and you... I feel like I feel like it should have gotten more consideration for Best Picture. I'm just gonna leave it at that. It was better than Ford v Ferrari. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Adam, number eight. All right, number eight is a film you guys actually reviewed on the podcast, and that is Midsommar, directed by Ari Aster. Uh, this is one of the films that I have definitely had to play catch up on. I missed it in the theaters in its initial run, but I'm so happy that I was able to watch it. Uh, Sorry, Florence Pugh, Jack Renner, and Will Poulter. Uh, Ari Aster uh, has this weird uh, hot streak right now. He's kind of like the A24 version of Jordan Peele. He has these uh, two back-to-back really solid uh, horror films that are creepy, disturbing, and visually stunning. Uh, this is uh, one of those films that that opening 20 minutes just kind of really hooked me from the beginning. I thought that was a really kind of shocking way to start the film. I wasn't really didn't know how they were going to get to this uh, little commune, and I just kind of threw me in i couldn't look away there was some really um haunting and creepy disturbing images and a little good foreshadowing too is stuff that happened especially this uh scene with the cliff that uh was very disturbing i wanted to look away but my eyes like i was like a mosquito in a bug zapper i just couldn't look away i had to look at the light and i was just like i was like i have to close my eyes at some point but i I don't like i'll have that image in my head for a while but 
I really liked what Ari Aster did here. I thought the cinematography was some of the best uh, I've seen this year. Probably Portrait of the Lady in the Fire really, really compete for those spots, but the setting was really good. I thought that this one had a was kind of snubbed for maybe costumes or uh, uh, production design. I thought those were really well done in this one. And Florence Pugh uh, is kind of like the Alicia Vikander of this year. She has this, a standout performance in this film, but gets nominated for uh, Little Women, which is kind of like the canter with a Danish girl. And I, this film is considerably better than Hereditary, in my in my opinion. So Midsommar, number eight. Yeah, it, it took real guts for Ari Aster to make a horror film in broad daylight like that and, and have it be effective. Yeah, we talked about it a lot. We we all liked it. it. It's a great film. Didn't make my list, but it's a great film. Todd, number eight. Okay, my number eight is uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Uh, if you didn't know, it's the story of Frank Sheeran, told first person, uh, going through his life and uh, the rise and fall, sort of, of him and Jimmy Hoffa and, like, a... Uh, uh, it's, I don't know, it, it's a, it's classic Scorsese crime story kind of thing, but it, it, there's something else underneath, and it's, I watched it again the other day, and I could tell it's, it's going to continue getting better with age. I mean, it's an easy sell for me because I love mob culture, but it's exactly what I wanted it to be. Robert De Niro is amazing, and somehow snubbed of the Oscar nomination, and Joe Pesci has never been better, Pacino's gives his best performance in two decades. It's it's a it's uh it's a special movie and uh, watching it a second time really reinforced everything that I loved about it the first time, and almost got better, and yeah. So the Irishman is my number eight. There there are two movies I need to go back and revisit that I feel like will improve on second viewing, and the Irishman is one, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the other, and I haven't had a chance to do either yet. Um, but as of right now, the Irishman to me is one of the most overrated movies of the year. I have it as at three and a half stars, but it's uh, I I don't see the the insane masterpiece that that a lot of people have have uh, have said, and I know we talked about that on the podcast before on our review, but uh, yeah, yeah, I would I would kind of second that, Terry. Uh, if a lot of the things with the director, I think Scorsese is this could be like his homage to. Uh, uh, is kind of mobster film. That's why he gets the nod, kind of like John Williams with score this year. I think it's because, oh, it's going to be the last one they do of this genre, so maybe just give him the nomination. I think that Scorsese could actually be taken out of the directing category and give it to somebody else. Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, but I definitely, for me, I just, I, I've seen better films in that kind of genre from that director, too. So it's, it's something I need to revisit for sure. Yeah, I think, I think it's one that at the beginning of the year we we felt was going to be like a top five movie for all four of us and i todd might be the only one that has it in his top 10 but uh i'm glad i'm glad it's getting represented here that's good zach number eight okay number eight is a movie that uh i didn't want to put on my top 10 list i kept on thinking of reasons why it shouldn't be there uh i don't know it's gotten a bit of a backlash people didn't like some of the uh, oscars it's been nominated for this year it doesn't belong in the category blah 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 whatever but i can't deny my admiration for it for the skill and the performances and, and the and the direction and that film is uh jojo rabbit directed by taika watiti uh, i know terry and i were big fans of this film uh, Todd was not. Todd represents, uh, you know, the elitist, pretentious critic that 
that uh, you know is too good for everything. But uh, yep. Jojo Rabbit is a uh, really well done movie. Um, you know, I, I had some flaws with some of the characters. There's some um, directions in the story that go maybe a little bit um, unrealistically toward the end of the movie. But the strengths of this movie are so good, and the strengths really being the the performances in this movie by Roman Griffin Davis and Thomas and McKenzie and Scarlett Johansson, I think, who deserved an Academy Award nomination for her work. Um, they outweigh the the uh, the liabilities of the film. Um, I think it has a, a really strong sort of through line. I think it approaches the Holocaust in, in a way that uh, is, is fresh, and um, I think viewers will understand and recognize the, the underlying satire of it. Um, it's funny, it's engaging, it's also smart, and it's also uh, sad, too. Um, I love the last scene of this movie. I think the, the, it takes the characters in a really unique direction, um, and uh, I found myself maybe more like on a purely emotional level affected by this movie than a lot of other movies this year. So as much as I wanted to be a dark, cynical uh, critic and you know cast aside this movie, I can't quite do it. I think it's really fun, and uh, it's my number eight film of the year. It's a bad day to be a Nazi. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. Good pick, good pick, good pick. Todd, do you have any response to that? Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I don't know. I did. I did. I did. I did get Jojo Rabbit at forty to one to win Best Picture. So that, that was well, there kinda, we go. Uh, yeah, that you are still predicting that as as the winner. So uh, I I think you're a little crazy there, but forty to one's not not bad odds to to bet on, though. All right, uh, number eight on my list is probably the the coolest and most entertaining movie I saw in the theaters all year, and that is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Uh, this was, um, you know, that that classic whodunit murder mystery. Um, I, I think back a couple years to when to when uh, Kenneth Branagh made Murder on the Orient Express. Knives Out is everything I hoped that would be. Just like a classic Agatha Christie esque whodunit. Uh, with all the twists and turns and bitingly funny along the way and uh, just so much fun and so cool. I wrote a review on on the blog for this um, and one of the things I loved about it is you've got this huge ensemble cast and they're all the character actors. Like no, very few of these people that are that are in this are are ever the leading person and or they're or they're they've played leads but they're used to being they're better suited to be the character actor and i think it made it such a better film because no one is trying to grab the spotlight they're all playing their complementary parts and because of that the movie benefits and uh it just so much fun uh i had to put it on here knives out number eight that's that's a good choice i just watched that again uh with my dad this last weekend, actually, so that was a lot of fun. They're actually making a sequel this year for that uh, Murder on the Orient, Orient Express. I don't know if you know that, too. Oh, is it like, isn't it like Death on the Nile, yeah. I think? Yeah. With Perot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, you can't go wrong with the Agatha Christie plot lines, but they gotta they got to do better than they did with Murder on the Orient Express. Okay. Adam, number seven. So far, no overlaps. This is kind of Yeah, I was uh, going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going Nothing under, yet. maybe. Nothing yet. Uh, Number seven for me is, funny enough, is another A24 film that is directed by Lulu Wang, and that's The Farewell. I was not expecting this film to hit me the way it did. Uh, I really just enjoyed this this film 
for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think Aquafina actually is uh, did a really good job, kind of showing the conviction of between having the American the American side of thinking and also uh, you know her land of origin uh, way of thinking as well. So uh, seeing a uh, going against kind of culture like in our American cultures, like we obviously tell a person to get the their affairs in order, but we have to honor their. She has to honor her culture as well. So, seeing her kind of a conviction that was really, uh, I, I enjoyed. Uh, well, I didn't really enjoy seeing that. It was, it was tough because I want. I was like, I if I was in that situation, I would want to tell. But you know, you have to honor, respect that. But I, I thought a lot of the performances really worked well, and I, I just it was really heartfelt as uh, for me, as a person who's recently uh, kind of lost his grandfather uh, in the last year. It kind of kind of hit home as well. I was. Uh, we've been kind of estranged for a while, uh, and but I was actually able to like interact with him before, shortly before he passed away. So it actually hit me a lot harder that I think I have about an emotional attachment to this story, uh, and I just I enjoyed a lot of the things. This is another one I can't wait to revisit. I think Lulu Wang and this film in general has definitely been overlooked. Uh, I think this was a perfect opportunity to get some like kind of big sick uh, nominations in there as well, some surprise um, films and. Uh, yeah, um, the supporting actress who played the grandma. I can't. I can't her name's some. Zhao Shuzhen. Yes, definitely overlooked. I think that that one um, was just kind of surprised that I would have loved to see her in there at least. That in a perfect world, she would be in best supporting actress for me. Yeah, it, it was a shame when uh, when the farewell was completely uh, completely missed at the Oscar nominations. It would have been it would have been good to see it represented somewhere uh, for sure. Yeah. Todd, number seven. All right, my number seven is a movie by John Hindman, and it's called The Passing Parade. Uh, if he, my best actress winner is Tessa Ferrer. She plays Errol Larson, who is a playwright who is struggling with writer's block and uh, like trying to live up to the potential of her last play, which was a big hit, and like her personal and professional decisions she's made. Uh, it's it's a gorgeous movie. It's in black and white, which is interesting for this kind of thing. It could have just been like a a wannabe Noah Baumbach dramedy, but it, it it's like deceptively deep and definitely melancholic. And I could have spent another hour watching uh, Errol like just maneuver her way through life. There's optimism in it, but it's also really raw and realistic. It, it's the best hidden gem movie that I saw in 2019. And yeah, the the passing parade is my number seven. All right, another one I haven't heard of. Guess how many views it, or uh, votes it has on IMDb as of right now? Oh, I did this last year. <laughs> uh, it has fifty-two total votes. Fifty-two. I yeah. was one of them. <laughs> You're one of the fifty-two, one of the 52. Todd. Nice. <laughs> well, see that guy, that director had made a movie with Jeff Daniels at one point. I forget what it was called, but the Answer Man or something. But I was like, how does it go from that to this? And, I, I don't know, completely stripped down black and white romantic comedy. But, I don't know. It's something special, though. I, I, I really, really liked it. Did you see that this movie on the basis of The Answer Man? No. I've never even seen that movie. I oh, okay. I just... It, it, was, it was something I came across on one of my streaming apps, and I was just like, oh, this sounds interesting. I don't know. Those are always the best when you just stumble upon something awesome like that. All right, Zach, number seven. All right, we're, we're coming to a, a milestone point in this podcast, our first moment of overlap. Hey, hey. My hey. number seven 
was on Adam's list, and it might show up on someone else's list, I don't know, and that film is Ari Aster's Midsummer, which we've talked about on this podcast, we've already talked about it in this episode, I'll echo a lot of what uh, Adam said, but maybe add a couple things, um, uh, I love how this movie doesn't have any jump scares, it's a yes. slow burn, I guess is now the, the 2020 word for it, um, and yet it's pretty uh, uncomfortable and unsettling, it really, I mean, the, the, I, I, don't, I don't know how well, I, I hope it would translate well to a home viewing experience, but being in the theater for like, you know, and it's a fairly long film, like two hours and 20 minutes, I mean, it really like put you in a completely different like mindset and mood and uh, emotion. Um, I thought the performances were great. Florence Pugh, I thought, was, should have been nominated for an Oscar for it. Uh, it uh, has this story that really gets twisted as it goes along. And then, you know, one of my one of the reasons that I love this movie, too, is that it's actually quietly funny in parts, especially at the end. There's, like, the, you know, the, the climax that, you know, maybe people know about at this point. But, like, you know, people in the theater were laughing at it. And I, I'm not, I mean, I, I guess I could understand why. Like, I'm sure Ari Aster would have been down with that. And I think quietly, it's also really, like, sort of um, insightful movie about relationships, especially, like, uh, relationships when you're in your 20s. And um, I don't know. I think it has, it has a lot to say. Ari Aster says that uh, he based it on some romantic uh, like a romantic comedy from the 80s with uh, Albert Brooks. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think Ari Aster is a great filmmaker, and uh, this was an awesome experience watching it. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like if it had been released in December, it would get more Oscar attention. One of these days, Ari Aster is going to do a movie that is actually going to get the uh, the attention it deserves, um, and not just the uh, you know the the underground swell. With, that never produces anything in award season. Um, and I would, come. I would come. also agree with Adam that this was much better than Hereditary, which I gave a mild thumbs down review to. This was like a major leap forward, I think. Yeah, I think unfortunately there's a horror a horror bias. They don't like oh they don't like the horror films as much. Get Out, there's exceptions of course, but I think that being it's a horror film, I don't think it's going to get as much attention. So hopefully that changes over the next couple of years. We'll see. I was I was really rooting for Lupita Nyong'o to get in for us, really rooting for it, but it didn't happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, number seven on my list is probably the uh, the most uh, feel good, heart wrenching movie. You know, just tugs at your heartstrings that I saw this year, and that was uh, Marielle Heller's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, starring Tom Hanks as uh, as Mr. Rogers. Uh, this was a movie I was, I was really skeptical about, especially with how much I loved Won't You Be My Neighbor, how much I love, uh, I love Mr. Rogers, I'm introducing Mr. Rogers to my four-year-old, and he's falling in love with Mr. Rogers, and then I heard they're making a movie, and I'm like, oh, don't, don't ruin him, don't make a movie, and Tom Hanks, oh, oh, how's this gonna work, and it was, it was awesome, it was perfect, um, and Tom Hanks, he doesn't, I think I mentioned this when we talked about it on the podcast at one point. He doesn't um, necessarily look like Mr. Rogers. He doesn't necessarily sound like Mr. Rogers, but he captures his essence and his core so well um, that uh, that it doesn't matter. You know that it's him, and you know that that's what he represents. Uh, and um, the he and he got a supporting actor nomination, very well deserved. However, completely forgotten in the whole thing is Matthew Reese, who played really the lead character, who was a writer who was writing a story about uh, about him, and uh, and he did an amazing job too. You had uh, supporting performance from Chris Cooper playing his uh, 
playing uh, Matthew Reese's father. Um, but just a great, great movie. Uh, like I said, great feel-good movie. Tugs at your heartstrings. Um, if, if you just want to like feel good about yourself, go watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It'll work for you. So uh, that's my number seven. Can you believe that's a sequel to American Beauty? That's crazy. <laughs> that's my conspiracy theory. I'm still working it's, on that article. It's it's an it's an interesting conspiracy theory. I'll give you that. All right, uh, Adam, number six. All right, number six. I, I, I if I have to be honest with myself, I have to put this genre in my top ten. So. Avengers Endgame was everything I wanted in this uh, epic conclusion of films. That third act definitely had me excited and hyped. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I even gave it four stars on the website. However, I could put my fandom aside and admit that there is flaws with it and also say that it is not the best comic book movie this year. And my number six one was actually Joker uh, from Todd Phillips. Uh, this is, might be a little bit of... Um, Controversial. I know I'm in mean, like the circle of YouTube friends who completely disagree with me. They're putting Avengers Endgame at number one, but I think that's uh, they need to put some stuff fanboyisms aside. I think for a Joker, while it might not uh, play well with for everybody, I think that it does uh, do a lot of good homages and has uh, some things to say about uh, mental health in in a way as well. And uh, I really enjoyed Joaquin Phoenix as his character. It wasn't necessarily a full origin film um, story from like the comics or anything, but it does play good homages to some of Scorsese's uh, work as well, and homages to the comics, like The Killing Joke and specifically The Dark Knight Returns, where that whole uh, sequence on the Murray talk show really took place. That's straight out of the comics. It goes down similar uh, in there, but actually is more effective, I feel, in the Joker movie. Uh, definitely, like Todd said on the episode you guys reviewed this on, it definitely has uh, you know, Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, mixed, mixed with The Purge in a way as well. I really liked how grounded and gritty and serious this is. And there's even like Easter eggs you can find from like the 1984 crime with Bernard Goats uh, on the subway there. I, I, there was a lot of different things that tied into it. And when I was kind of looking at different things I might have missed in it, I appreciated more. And even on my rewatch, I still really en enjoyed it. Um, I necessarily don't think it should have got 11 Oscar nominations, but uh, again, I, I think there's some other films that should have got it. When you have four films getting 41 nominations, I think that's kind of uh, shocking and a, a missed opportunities for other films to get noms, but I still really enjoy Joker regardless, and um, I think and this is where the MCU should take some pointers from, and I think eventually MCU's good luck's going to run out, and uh, they're going to have a, a bad movie um, regardless of what fans are going to say, they're, they're going to make a bad one. I think they should focus on more of this, some grounded reality stuff. So uh, Joker, for me, I think hit the marks for everything I wanted to see in this origin film. I've been having this talk with Todd. Is Joker the favorite for Best Picture right now? No. Not, not for me. Not for me. Parasite. Uh, I, I got this funny feeling that Joker might end up pulling this whole thing out and just freaking everybody out. I, 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 Joaquin Phoenix is walking away with the award. I think we're we're that's where we're going with that. Yeah, it's, it's like the Lincoln of uh, 2019. It's it's best actor, but that's really about it. Even though it has some nominations. Yeah, costumes yeah. is kind of ridiculous, and some other like sound mixing. Like, where's the Uncut Gems and nomination for that right there? <laughs> and sound, yeah. yeah, all those all sound stuff. But anyway, 
Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see where where it ends up uh, where it ends up hitting, how many awards it it wins. Um, but yeah, all right, Todd, number six. Okay, my number six is a movie we reviewed on the podcast. It's Toy Story Four. Uh, of course it is. Yeah, <laughs> we. Uh, we, we pick up with the Toy Story saga with Woody dealing with the fact that he's an old and forgotten toy and trying to find his role when he's the main focus of his the child or whatever. And Bonnie makes a toy out of trash named Forky, who is one of the most irresistible characters of 2019, played by Tony Hale, and it could only be Tony Hale. Um, after to- Toy Story 3, I... I I, I knew then that they cannot and will not screw up this franchise. Like, they care as much as I do at Pixar. And while this one didn't have the, the uh, stakes of the third installment, it, it, it did have the emotional scenes and taps into something different in the end, I feel like. There is closure, but there isn't. It's a lot like life, I guess, in that way. And, uh, yeah, I, it, I'll keep watching these movies for my whole life. Toy Story 4 is my number six. So on... Uh... On uh, Disney Plus right now, they have a series of uh, of like three four minute shorts um, that a new one comes out every every week called Forky asks a question. It's really good. And yeah, he he asks a different Toy Story character different questions. Like I, I was just looking it up here, what is love? What is money? What is time? What is cheese? What is art? What is reading? What's a pet? What's a computer? Anyways. Yeah, they're they're really awesome. leaning into into the 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 whole Forky brand now, as he's learning about the world. Trash. I did think it was it was interesting that and in a surprise, uh, the uh, what I won't let you throw yourself away song was nominated for best original song at, at the Oscars. That was pretty good. Yeah, well they they love uh, Randy Newman so. Oh yeah. All right, Zach, number six. The, so, are do all the, are all the Toy Story films in your top ten of each year? I would assume. Yeah, they would have yeah. to be, right? Is this the yeah. lowest any Toy Story film has ever ranked for you? Uh, probably. I mean, Toy Story two. I think I gave four stars to, but I don't know where it actually ranked. I don't have to look it up. Okay, I have Toy Story as my number forty-one movie, or Toy Story four as my number forty-one movie of the year. Ooh. I mean, well, I liked then... it, but. You know, come on, let's get real. Yeah, I, I Toy Story <laughs> two number six of ninety nine. So, number six. So tied. Yep. All right. Okay. Uh, Zach, well, number my six. number six film, uh, and again, I guess uh, I'm the one who's leading the charge in uh, the uh, uh, overlap. Another overlap. And this this, time... this is this is you don't understand how rare this is that Zach is the one that is tying us all together. Zach is usually the one with like five French films and uh, and two German films as his top ten. So, yeah. anyways, <laughs> well, from I France had to throw that out Francois. there. Yeah, I mean, I I kept on texting you. I was like, you know, we're gonna have a lot of overlap this year. I mean, I feel like I don't know. Well, anyway, my number six film was mentioned by Terry. It was his number eight film, and that is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Man, I love this wow. movie. Wow. This was the this was the movie that I saw uh, instead of 1917. I made an educated guess: Am I going to like 1917 more, or am I going to like Knives Out more? And uh, I think I chose correct. Although to to its credit, I still haven't seen 1917. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of movie that you know, 15 years ago, this probably would have been like you know a three star movie. You know, I enjoyed it, whatever. But I think this kind of movie. 
is really uh, becoming rare. You know, a movie that is original, set in contemporary times, um, all-star cast, but it's and, and it has great performances in it, but it's really driven by the dialogue and by the, the narrative structure. You know, the narrative structure in this movie is really unique. Um, it does things that you wouldn't expect it to do. You think you know what it's going to do next, and then it pulls uh, out something completely different. Um, I think there's a really strong undercurrent of a, a social message in the movie. Uh, I love that the uh, Golden Globes nominated Ana de Armas for Best Actress. She was phenomenal in this movie. A bunch, of, I mean, basically all the actors are great in this movie. And, and what I like about it is that some of the bigger actors actually sort of uh, delegate some of their screen time to some of the lesser known actors, which is a, r- a really nice thing. Uh, Daniel Craig doesn't really ham it up in the way that you might expect based on the trailers. Um, it's actually a pretty nuanced uh, performance in a lot of ways. Um, it's funny. It's in- Engaging, it's intelligent, it's becoming uh, increasingly and frustratingly rare at, at the movies uh, to experience something that's this funny and this original and this really totally unpredictable, even though it's steeped in a lot of uh, genre. So uh, I completely agree with you, Terry. I don't know if I'd give it four stars. I'm a little more reluctant than you are with that. Uh, but uh, it is uh, my number six movie of the year, and uh, it should have been nominated for several more Oscars instead of just a lone, uh, somewhat um, perfunct screenplay nomination definitely you, some you other... know, go ahead you you know you want to give it four stars zach i you do want to give want it four to. stars i probably should <laughs> it's it's an awesome movie some of the best productions design up this year i think too that house was awesome agreed what i don't know which house would you rather live in the house from knives out or the house from ready or not because i mean ready the... or not that, that's a fun house though too that's a oh best movie houses that'd be a interesting house. Yes. Oh. yeah Ooh. future power ranking maybe uh, i did maybe. read a rumor about that uh knives out sequel they're working on uh, with ryan johnson they uh, daniel craig's completely on board with it somebody suggested that uh every sequel that they do with that movie that daniel craig has a different accent and they don't I explain saw that too. they don't explain why he has a different accent yes that would be hilarious I, I saw that someone on Twitter just kind of put it out there, and Ryan Johnson responded with, "Not gonna lie, that thought has already crossed my mind." <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so awesome. Make it happen. Uh, well, between between like this and Logan Lucky, Daniel Craig shows that he could pull off really pretty much anything. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Ryan Johnson's films are kind of becoming event theater. Put me first in line whenever he comes out with a new he's, movie. He's one of the great auteurs of this decade, and mm-hmm. you know. He should be more recognized. And uh, screw Star Wars. You know what? This this was better than Star Wars. So, yeah, there you go. Agreed. Con- a conversation for another time, but did you guys hear that Colin Trevorrow's screenplay for Rise of Skywalker, or that Episode Nine was leaked to the internet oh, this week? And it was so good. I've and actually, it, and it, it. It, sounded, it sounded so good and so much better than what Rise of Skywalker ended up being. Anyways, if you haven't heard about it, look it up. It's a, It's really fascinating. Why and especially fascinating why Disney decided to fire him when he had that story in in uh, favor of what they ended up doing. The Book of Henry. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, all right. Number six on my list is uh, my top documentary of the year. It is uh, a heartbreaking movie um, that left me captivated the whole time. It's probably the favorite to win Best Documentary at the Oscars. It is For Sama. Uh, a oh, wow. film that directed by Wad Al Khatib, I don't know how to say her name, um, but it is um, it is directed by her. It is filmed by her. It is narrated by her. 
Um, and she is really the star of it as she is making, uh, she is a journalist in, uh, the town of Aleppo as, um, as it is getting, uh, getting destroyed, um, by it's the oppressive government there. And during this time, she has a baby, um, with her, uh, with her husband, who is, uh, one of the main doctors that is caring for those that are getting injured in the bombings. Um, and they name her their their baby Sama, and this film is dedicated to her. It is for her, so she can see what her parents did and what they went through to uh, to try and give her uh, a life that um, that they feel like that she deserves. Uh, it is it is just a heartbreaking film. It is such a, a real film as you see some of these images of what's happening in real time with uh, with the the devastation that happened in this town um at the same time it it is it's kind of uplifting to see what what these parents were willing to do and it has that heart and that that uh, being to uh for the for the daughter and that core that is given to it um really makes it something something very special um and so i'm i'm definitely rooting for it at the oscars um i'm hoping to see it uh i'm hoping to see it come out and uh and get to see these these people accept an award for for a movie they made for their for their baby daughter. So uh, wow. so number six on my list is Forsama. Wow, yeah, it's a great choice. That that also is my number one documentary of the year. Where did you guys see that at, by chance? Uh, it is uh, streaming right now on PBS. PBS, okay. Yeah, so actually fairly easily accessible. So uh, definitely try and find it. Um, it, it's it's definitely worth a watch. All right, halfway through, Adam, number five. All right, number five is a film that I probably is going to be overlapped somewhere, and that is Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Uh, this is actually convenient. Funny enough, it's my first Noah Baumbach film, so I really have no uh, point of reference on how he makes stuff. But I uh, was really excited for this film when I saw the cast and kind of the premise of the film. And uh, this is the only film this year that I actually watched twice in one day. I really watched it back to back. I watched it by myself, and I watched it with my wife, and had a really good conversation about it. I think that's uh, something I really appreciated about the film as well. I thought the performances from Driver and Johansson were really just uh, really well done, specifically Driver. And a lot of people are making fun of that uh, argument sequence, which I think is completely taken out of context because they're not actually watching the film. Uh, I think a lot of the moments are building up to that argument, so it maybe seems comes up like over the top. Uh, I thought this, the supporting characters of Alan Alda and Laura Dern were fantastic. However, I think that the one that we're really forgetting about is Ray Liotta. Uh, uh, Ray Liotta, I thought, was uh, who's kind of known for commercials and mobster movies at this point. I think uh, he does a really good job being the attorney for Adam Driver's character, and especially that courtroom sequence where he's talking. It's like, oh, you don't do that, and then he goes back to this conversation with Laura Dern. I think uh, Leota is, is definitely pushing um, what helped Laura Dern probably get her supporting actress or win uh, soon, too. Um, I what The big comparison is Kramer versus Kramer, and I, I love that film, but I feel like they really vi- villainized Meryl Streep in this that film for wanting to leave the marriage. Uh, however, I think in this film, you kind of side with both characters throughout the movie, uh, and I think I kind of really appreciated that, even though it's Adam Driver's film, definitely he's the showier role, and um, I really liked you guys' review on it too. So I think that it could have been just proves that communication in a relationship definitely could go a long way. I heard a, I heard an interesting conspiracy theory today about Marriage Story that um, I'll share off air because it's got it's 
littered with spoilers, so for multiple <laughs> movies. But uh, I will. Uh, does I, it involve I, I one of the characters it. turning into Mister Rogers? No, it does not involve a character turning into Mister Rogers, but it may involve like every Best Picture nominee. So. <laughs> I'll, wow. t- I'll, t- wow. I'll tell you off air. I'll tell you off air. It's pretty fascinating. Um, anyways, <laughs> Todd, number five. My number five is a movie by Riley Stearns. It's called The Art of Self-Defense. Wow. Now, this movie is a total Todd movie. It, um, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg plays Casey, who's like a kind of an awkward guy who gets jumped, and so he enrolls in a martial arts class. And uh, but the class ends up being like this like crime subplot led by the the sensei played by Alessandro Nivola who gives one of the most interesting performances of the year. <laughs> um, Imogen Poots is terrific in it as well as one of like the experienced students. Um, R- Riley Stearns is a really good director. Like his last movie, Faults, uh, made my top ten of 2015, and I had never even heard of him or of the movie. And, but this one's even better. Like, he's got this, like, dark comedic style that really just gets under your skin. And this movie never failed to surprise me. And it was one of the best times I had at the movies in, in 2019. And, uh, yeah, it, it is a definite Todd movie, but it's a definite number five of the year. Nice. I mean, you said it's a total Todd movie. It stars Jesse Eisenberg. I went, well, yeah, then it is. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have not seen that one, but I have heard good things, not just from you. So, Zach, number five. Okay, number five is a movie that uh, I've defended on this podcast a couple times. Um, it's a movie that, well, uh, it, it's a movie that's set in Pennsylvania and about a single mother. And uh, the movie that a lot of people would think that would fit that list would be Diane, which is a movie that got a lot of critical praise, especially for the performance by Mary Kay Place. Uh, I would agree with Todd. I found Diane to be kind of plodding and a little bit overrated. So actually the movie I'm talking about, about a single mother from uh, Pennsylvania, is American Woman, the movie I signed Todd to watch. And uh, he, I think, gave it like two and a half stars. But uh, I really like this movie. It stars Sienna Miller in what I think is one of the best performances of the year, maybe maybe the best performance of the year, um, as uh, Deborah, who is a single mom in her 30s. 30s and she's an alcoholic and she has a series of abusive dysfunctional relationships with men and um, she has a, a, a new grandson and a, a daughter who's sort of um, a bit, a bit uh, wild and then uh, the daughter disappears and so we kind of think that this movie is going to go in sort of the uh, unsolved mysteries route but instead of focusing on the investigation it more focuses on uh, the Deb character the Sienna Miller character as she adjusts to life um, with this investigation kind of always in the back of her head and the movie kind of does it sort of pulls a boyhood a little bit it sort of advances it goes further down the road in her life and it kind of you kind of see where her life evolves it takes some interesting twists and turns in some unpredictable ways and I really like how the director Jake Scott kind of doesn't doesn't go for like the cheap melodramatic aspects of this story because it sounds kind of like a melodrama it sounds kind of like a soap opera it really isn't it's much more of a sort of nuanced and multi-layered character study um, and uh, even at the end, when, when there's some sort of resolution, it's not really what the movie is uh, about. So um, it's, uh, like I said, much more about this character who's fascinating and complex. And it's, uh, I think, one of the great performances of the year. Certainly the best performance of Sienna Miller's career. Um, it's one that got overlooked. Uh, American Woman, check it out. It's, a, it's an awesome time at the movies, I thought. I know Todd disagrees, but you know what? Todd also didn't like Jojo Rabbit. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> I... I uh... I still haven't seen that one. I need to watch it. I need to watch it. 
All right. Moving on, number five on my list. We have overlap number three, because number five on my list is Jojo Rabbit from Taika Waititi. Uh, Zach already mentioned it. We talked about it on the podcast before. I won't spend too much time on it, but uh, it, it it's just amazing how they were able to take this, this what should have been glim, you know, really a bleak story and make it uh and make it something really heartwarming and fun um i loved it it it's it was it was one of the best times i've had at the movies all year and uh yeah i'll just leave it at that number five jojo rabbit thanks it's a great take it todd take it todd just just accept it accept defeat hey if it wins this picture i'm i'm uh i'm in the money so (laughs) You're rooting for it, too. <laughs> well, yeah, and my predictions, too. Yeah. All right. Adam, number four. Uh, number four is probably another film that's going to get overlapped, hopefully. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know I just saw Zach's post on uh, on Facebook about it. Uh, however, I, it's another one I had to play catch-up on because I did not see uh, this film in theaters, unfortunately. By Tarantino's film. It takes place in 1969 Hollywood. Nice. Uh, it's perfectly... I feel like this film is... Uh, Kind of everything I really wanted in this the movie. Uh, I usually always pick a film that I do not watch a trailer for, and this is the film that I picked, and I actually stay true to that. So I kind of knew a little bit, like it's a, a Madison film, Di- Di- DiCaprio and Pitt were in it, so I was like, I'm sold on this film, go into it and enjoy it. And I actually really did. Uh, I thought that it was kind of perfectly booked in by two, uh, an amazing first act and the second, uh, third act, and it had that sense of... To, um, impending doom in the second act where they uh, are on the Charles Manson ranch there. I uh, really thought it was great. And Cliff Booth is quickly become one of my favorite characters this year. Uh, or is this a guy I want to go get a beer with or more specifically a Bloody Mary? Uh, obviously that ending is extremely brutal, hilarious, but also some kind of, uh, there's kind of some sadness to it as well when, uh, you know, they finally, uh, uh, DiCaprio's character and uh, Sharon Tate uh, meet each other for the first time. And it kind of says Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as kind of like a story. Uh, it's kind of so you can't. I, what I felt was a little uh, kind of sad about that because unlike other revisionist history films that uh, that he's done, like Glorious Bastards and Chango on Chain, those have more uh, happy, happier endings, or at least you're left leaving the theater in kind of a more ruck, ruckus mood because what happens in them. But uh, for me, it was more of a kind of reflective and a little sad, like uh, what could have happened with her, her career throughout and what i really liked about this movie a lot more too is what they got right and what kind of uh, things they did kind of researching more about it and uh, just made me appreciate what they uh, did for the film and it may not be tarantino's best movie but it's one that i got everything i wanted out specifically all right awesome you're yep. entitled Can't argue with that you're entitled to your opinion <laughs> but i uh, i understand say... what you're saying though what you have said about it too and i um so I, I, I totally get uh, the different takes on it. I'll, I'll say it, it's it's not on my list right now, but again, like I said, with a with a second viewing, it might I could see it easily popping up because that's what I said when we first watched it. Is it, it was it, I needed a, to revisit it. I just watched it a second time, and I had the exact same criticisms as the first time. So maybe I need to give it you know five or six or ten or twenty years. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd, number four. 
Okay, my number four uh, was reviewed on this podcast, not by everybody, but by Zach, and that was the movie I assigned him to watch. That was S. Craig Zoller's Dragged Across Concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, it is truly the only enduring movie from early in the year, like that, like that actually, you know, that I could say was like a first half of the year that that really stood. I don't know why I'm what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Alright. Never mind. Okay. It's about a couple of cops played by Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn who get suspended when a video gets leaked of their overzealous sort of criminal like behavior and police tactics and so they decide they're going to intercept the crime in order to make some money. Uh S. Craig Zoller is a strange director, and he's progressively gotten better and more polished with each movie he's made. And this continues that like insanely uh, violent aura, but it's it, it's mixed with something that makes it seem almost real. Like it, it's it's the breaking it's the Breaking Bad, the closest thing to Breaking Bad that I've seen in a movie. And uh, it's a uh, I don't know. It's fa- it, it, the movie's fascinated with violence and silence, and which makes the tension almost like unbearable. But uh, it's an amazing movie, and uh, yeah, it, it was. I I remember texting Zach right when I saw it. I was like, this this, I, this is going to be in my top ten of the year, and it didn't disappoint. All right, all right. It is a really good movie. I, I don't have it quite as high as you, Todd, but uh, I appreciate that you you assigned me to watch it, and it was a really enjoyable film to watch. And uh, yeah, I just I can't get past some of the things in the movie, but that's just because some things bother me that don't bother most. I think for the average movie fan, more people would be closer to you. I think like this is a really enjoyable film to watch, and it has some has some awesome moments in it. I just you know, I don't like the lead two actors, but uh, that's that's a whole nother issue. So, so as much as Zach is going mainstream this year, he still holds his right to be pretentious. So, sure, exceptions sure. to every rule. <laughs> sure. Uh, Zach, number four. Okay, number four is uh, you know, I've, I'm trying to not be pretentious on my list, and my number of film <laughs> film is a really, I think, unpretentious film that if I was trying to be pretentious, I wouldn't put it on my film list. But I can't deny that I absolutely loved every second of this film and texted Todd with glee after seeing it, and uh, I think Todd agrees with me. I'm, I'm holding out hope it's on his list too, and that is El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Uh, now, of course, you have to be a fan of the show to really un- to really appreciate the, the the nuances and subtlety of this movie. But uh, I mean, I you know there there may not have been a more purely enjoyable two hours of any movie this year. Um, you know, when when the project was announced, I mean, it was obviously a surprise project that no one really knew about. You know, I, I was sort of skeptical. Um, do we really need uh, further resolution to the greatest TV show of all time? In part, it was so great because the ending was was so great, at least the last season. And uh, I was really satisfied with how the show ended with Jesse Pinkman. But this movie does Jesse Pinkman uh, more justice. It uh, really evolves his character in some really uh, interesting ways. Um, the flashback structure works really well here. We see some characters, but it's not like a who's who of everyone's favorite characters of Breaking Bad. It's kind of random characters, but that, ha- that have a meaningful uh, impact on Jesse Pinkman's journey. One of whom is Robert Forrester, who I think should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor this year. He's he's great in this movie, as he was as what 
he was in uh, the final season of Breaking Bad too. Um, there are some real twists and turns in this movie. I mean, there's a scene that involves uh, a, uh, a deserted apartment and a confrontation that is just a shocking sort of twist midway through that I don't think anyone who's seen this movie could have seen happen. So I should stop talking about it. Um, but it, Aaron Paul's great in it, and uh, they didn't have to use de-aging technology at all. So yay for not that, that restraint, no de-aging. Um, it's a great movie. Uh, I loved it. Uh, any Breaking Brad fan would be uh, thrilled to watch it. So, and, and that seemed like the consensus uh, vote on it. So, it's 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 awesome. It's my number four. If only your Breaking El Camino, a Breaking Bad story, Breaking Bad movie. Yeah, it would be on my list if I included TV movies, but I I don't. So, well, now who's pretentious? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we just go through a podcast last time, Todd, where you gave us all crap for making up our own rules, and now we're here doing our top ten list, and you've made up a, your own rule to, to just, you know, mess everything up? So, no, I mean, if you didn't... I don't know. If you didn't well, that, that, that's the rule that every... I mean, that's the rule that everyone is following, though, because, like, Zach said, Robert Forsman should have been nominated for Best Sporting Actor. He could have maybe had, like, the Golden Globes, but not at the Oscars, because... It's a TV movie. But if you don't nominate on your list, if you don't nominate TV movies, like okay, then there you can't put the deck log on any list. You can't put the best of youth on any list. You can't put show on any list, and you can't put like Danny and Alexander. I mean, those are you know they were made for TV. They're great movies. Most that people consider them in the cinematic realm. They're not TV. Wasn't it released on Netflix though? Not TV. There's an argument there. It's not TV. Well, but it it never. It never. It, it never saw the theater, which is the the big issue. Whatever. Come on, it's a weak year. Give me a break. I'm you fine know? with it. it I'm fine with very it. Very enjoyable. All right. Number four on my list is a film I expect to see popping up on several other lists probably pretty soon, and that is Uncut Gems from oh the Safdie Brothers. Come on. Ah, <laughs> uh, it is. Oh, this, all right. So this movie we talked about a lot on the podcast. We all loved it. I mean, it it was it was not only thrice approved. I think it was uh, you know four stars from everybody. But uh, I I gotta say, as I watched this movie, like for the first ha- like forty five minutes to an hour, I'm sitting there thinking, man, Todd's gonna love this movie. Like that was the only thought that was going <laughs> through my head. Like, this is this is a Todd movie through and through. And while I was thinking that, I didn't realize just how much it was sucking me in. And drawing me in to the point that I was so completely invested and on the edge of my seat the entire second half of the movie. Um, we said in the podcast before that we reviewed it, it's prob- it's one of the most stressful movies that I've ever seen. The more I've sat with it, the more I've wanted to move it up. It's sitting at number four right now. It might end up higher by, you know, after a second viewing. But it is it is so good. Adam Sandler has never been better. He never will be better this is like was like the perfect role for him uh yeah number four uncut gems it's awesome there you go good movie good movie all right adam number three all right my number three film is uh from the producer of the shrek the musical film uh it's a 1917s set directed by uh sam mindy's uh uh, this is the, the film that we really wanted to watch before we did this ranking. I think it was definitely deserving of a lot of the stuff that's getting. Um, I think that the 
two biggest uh, glaring omissions that not too many people are talking about is George McKay from Captain Fantastic and Dean Charles Chapman from The King and the Commuter. Uh, the, these guys, as the lead and supporting actor, they are give some really great performances here that you really feel for the characters as they journey across uh, this enemy territory to get to this other battalion to try to warn them not to attack. It's it, it was just really breathtaking to see. I actually watched this with my dad in a double feature, uh, 1917 and Knives Out, and it was just a great day in the theater. My dad leaned over halfway through. He's like, are they filming this on a freaking GoPro? Like, how are they filming this? Uh, and <laughs> my dad, and it's, it's the first time my dad actually pointed out something technical, because we, we, we watch his movies, but it's not like something that we, we discuss in depth about. But it was something that I was really like, Obviously, the techniques they're using kind of spoke to an average uh, moviegoer. Uh, I really, uh, was, as I was thinking about the film, I was like, how are they doing this traveling uh, thing? And, but after, overall, I was like, oh, it doesn't really bother me. I think it's kind of unique and different. It kind of speeds up the process of getting there. It's a visually intense film that never wastes a moment of it. And at Deacons is doing a Deacons things. He's a fantastic cinematographer. Definitely going to get another Oscar. And, uh, uh, Sam, uh, he gives the most intense uh, film since Skyfall for, for Mindy's. I, I really enjoyed this film, and um, my dad's first uh, comparison was, "Is this going to be the na- next Saving Private Ryan?" Uh, I'm not, I'm not willing to go that far just quite yet because I've seen Saving Private Ryan so much. But I think you can definitely make comparison with the Normandy sequence as, as well as the, the sequence you see him running across, uh, uh, across the field with all the men running by him. I think there's some, there's interesting intensities with those two, um, those moments there. But it, it, I thought it was just the, uh, the way they made this film let alone deserves to be in a top 10 list for me. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. And yeah, the, it's the one that most recently just came out this last weekend. And, and yeah, we wanted to make sure we got to see that before we made these lists. Todd, number three. Okay, my number three, I expect to see it on your guys' list, and that's Parasite by Junho Bong. Uh, the movie is about the Kim family, who are poor and unemployed, and they slowly manipulate their way into the lives of the wealthy Park family. Uh, the movie has a handful of just extraordinary performances, including my clear Best Supporting Actress winner, So Damn Park. Like, she, she is unbelievably good in this, and... Uh, the movie is just an absolute masterpiece. Like, Juno Bong also made a movie in my top 100, Memories of Murder, but that's more of a genre movie. Mm. This movie is just full of surprises. It's, it's got stuff to say about society, but it'll just leave you spellbound for the duration. And I love the Golden Globe speech that he gave when he was saying, like, you need to embrace subtitles, because if a movie like this can't cross over to the mainstream, then no foreign film ever will outside of martial arts movies. Like... It's, it's one of the movies of the year and probably will be looked back on as a class of 2019 in like 20 years. And if right now it's number three, but if I watch it again, it could be number one. I don't know. Didn't I see that this, I mean, this South Korean movie has made $100 million worldwide in the box office? Yeah. I mean, that's insane. That is, that, that's breaking records all over the place. Yeah. It's amazing. All right. Zach. Number three. 
All right, uh, I'm going to also echo Todd. Parasite is my number three film of the year. Uh, it's it's a great pick. Uh, it's my pick for best picture. Uh, I think it is the the film that could cross over because you don't necessarily need to um, you know read subtitles fast. It's a story that's fairly easy to understand. It's really unpredictable. I actually gave extra credit to my high school students who went and saw it. A couple of them came back to me and were like, "Mr. Saltz, how could you assign us that? It was like so like you know uh, I." don't know it was like tough to tough to watch it with my parents sitting there and I was like really the you know I mean it's you know violent but it's not like that violent and they were like no we're not talking about the violence we're talking about the scene on the couch with the scene on the, oh the scene on the couch yeah that would be tough to watch with your parents I'm wondering what Adam's dad would think about the technical skills in that shot uh, on the couch um, but he would uh, say always go clockwise yes <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay. Didn't realize we'd go there. How's that? How's that? How's that whiskey, Adam? It's it's good, man. I'm feeling really warm right now. I'm sorry, Zach. Oh, that's that's okay. That's. What what we needed at at the at this mark of the, the ninety minute mark of the podcast we need that every episode I think. Oh my word! Uh, but uh, yes, it's a great pick. Um, I, I I can't really add anything more. Go always go clockwise, kids. <laughs> I was gonna say I think I think Adam just completely hijacked your review there, Zach. That's that's perfectly fine. Uh, I don't fine. think there's anything else you can say. Oh man. I think it's also the only time I've ever seen someone drink Patron out of straight out of the bottle, like with the, the <laughs> so damn Park does that at one point. Oh, it's, in the movie, not Adam. Oh, not Adam. Adam. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, hey. oh okay. Oh, yeah, never mind. All right, all right. Moving on. So uh, it's funny. Zach and Todd have the same have the same number three, and Adam and I have the same number three. My number three is nineteen seventeen. Um, it's one where, uh, when I watched it, I, I, I loved it. I wasn't quite sure what, what to do with it. It's sitting at number three now. I could easily see it and Uncut Gems flop as, uh, as we move on. But, um, wow, what an amazing experience at the theater. Um, I was texting Todd after this and we were saying, man, I texted him like, we were talking about how stressful Uncut Gems is. How about 1917? I, it is it is just as stressful the the one shot technique that they use in this um, is totally fitting and it totally works for this movie where you look at like it, it felt like a gimmick in Birdman this it it definitely has a purpose and adds to the frenetic um, stressful nature of it um, it's kind of a somewhat of a mix between Saving Private Ryan and Dunkirk. And um, and it, it just works perfectly. Uh, it's it's a it's a tight movie. It's not so it's not too long, but man, does it have you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Just amazing movie. Uh, Sam Mendes keeps making um, just amazing film after amazing film. And the other thing we were talking about is how he does it in completely different genres too. Uh, so uh, I loved it. Well, he has like I said, it might be a little too high right now, but it will uh, it, 
we'll see. 1917, number three. Well, I, I don't. I actually think the movie is pretty overrated. I give it three stars, but I like it, it's essentially like a video game. Like every set piece seems like a video game like cutscene, and then like it's also the screenplay is written in a way that is so convenient. Like after the plane crash thing. There's just, like, all, all of a sudden this, like, convoy of trucks that you can't even, like, hear get there. That they're just, like, all just randomly there. It's, like, there's so many convenient things that's that happen what I, to, that's, to, throughout I the movie. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. Uh, it, it, uh, and I feel like they just they just set up things that were going to look cool on the screen. And then they just went with it because it was, yeah, I mean, I mean but, I mean, that's what Roger Deakins does, he kind of, that, that sort of, he did sort of that with Skyfall in a way, but, like, it's just, it's just an action movie, and just because it's a war, a war movie, it gives it, like, some sort of status, even though it doesn't really have anything to say about war or anything, so, I don't know, I, I, I don't think it's that great of a movie, but, I, I don't know, <laughs> three stars. I don't know, well, I mean, like I said, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but I, th- I think it, it's, I, I enjoyed it enough, and it's enough of a technical achievement that uh, that it definitely deserved to be to be up there pretty high. So that's where I've got it for now. We'll see where it ends up after after repeat viewings and uh, and see where it settles. But number three for right now, 1917. I think it's going to be this year's Mad Max Fury Road. I think it's going to take a lot of the technical stuff. I think easily. <clears throat> uh, that, that very well could be. All right, Adam, number two. Uh, number two is another overlap film, and that is Uncut Gems, directed by the Safdie brothers. Hey, hey. Uh, this film is was one of my most anticipated films of the year. As I, I saw trailers of it, and I definitely wanted to watch a Safdie brothers film before I watched this one. So I did watch Good Time and was completely blown away by that. I thought Robert Pattinson was electric. Uh, it was really good. I actually had to rearrange my top ten of that year to make sure I put it in there. Uh, but Uncut Gems and, uh, was just a chaotic uh, film from start to finish. It, if Anxiety was a movie, Uncut Gems would be the movie it's about. Anna uh, uh, Sandler deli- delivers a chaotic, frustrating, and addictive but charming character uh, in this film. And uh, the Safety Brothers know how to make the fil- uh, films that feel like the characters that, are, that in- embody them. Good Time was a very dirty and gritty film, and kind of um, about and Robert Pattinson was in it. But this one was definitely chaotic, and the way that Sandler was talking and it just kind of had that rapid pace and rapid fire throughout the film, and it left you frustrated, and frustrating at times. And the tension, the tension, ugh, hold on a second, the tension builds to an unexpected conclusion, and it's the most enthralling and frustrating, memorable experience that I had all year. And I, I thoroughly enjoy. Uncut Gems, and I'm looking forward to going back to watch these other Safety Brothers films. And their Safety Brothers are definitely going to be directors that I'm going to be uh, first in line to watch their films from now on because I, they really impressed me on the last two films I've seen. So. All right, all right. Todd, number two. All right, my number two has been mentioned uh, by someone already. I think it was Adam. Uh, that's Once Fun a Time in Hollywood. Uh, ah. So the movie just it basically drops you into this time in tarantino's memory and he uses his style and dialogue in, in a way that makes it something you weren't really expecting like when i watched it the second time it it really felt like i was hanging out with these characters like i like like as if they were my buddies or something and like sharon tate like i cared about her more because i knew that like 
I knew eventually, like, how how her story was going to be handled, and, like, I found more depth in Cliff and Rick the, the second time. Like, I, 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 you immediately get caught up in the atmosphere, and it's like, the movie doesn't take a break at all. Like, I, I, it was, I, before I realized it, it was already over two hours in, like, and it was, I felt like the movie had just started. Like, it, it's a breezy 150 minutes, it, like, approaches Pulp Fiction in that way. And I don't know. I, I think the movie is going to be studied for decades, and it'll, it, it's not—it's not Tarantino's best movie, but it could be his masterpiece. So, uh, so you guys that love this, are you excited for or loathing the idea of a four-hour um, director's cut released on Netflix within the next year? Oh, I—I'm all for it. I mean, I oh. didn't actually watch the the Hateful Eight, the one, but I mean. The, the, I would be all for four hours of these characters. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in it, too. Alright. Okay. Zach, number two. Alright, well, for those of you keeping score out there, all three listeners, uh, we are now at seven movies that have overlapped. We have, uh, we are now over, we have crossed the threshold of the over-under. So... I think I win. I was the only one that said gave the over, wasn't I? I think Adam had the over, too. No, he didn't. Or did he say no, under? No, I, I did say the under. I thought it was okay. be five. Okay, well, that's uh, congratulations, Terry. Nice yep. job by you. Um, <laughs> I, I love I love winning the 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 games that don't matter. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my number two movie is a movie pr- I'm pretty sure will not overlap on anyone's list uh, because I don't know if anyone's actually seen it. But it is my number one documentary of the year, and it is also a nominee for Best Documentary at the Oscars. It is not for Sama, which I have not seen. Uh, I really want to see after listening to Terry and Todd mention it. It is American Factory by Stephen Bogner and Julia Reichert, uh, a film that uh, was produced by Higher Ground, which is uh, Barack and Michelle's uh, production company and was released on Netflix this summer. It uh, tells the, it's a documentary about uh, the General Motors, former General Motors assembly plant in Dayton, Ohio, that closed down in the late 2000s and was uh, purchased by a uh, Chinese company, uh, Fuyao, and uh, they uh, reopened the plant um, and manufacture glass, and what they do is they are hiring essentially American workers, um, but owned and operated by Chinese uh uh, tycoons and the movie is about uh, the workers struggle to form a union um, in spite of what they sort of think is bad conditions and poor pay but the truth is and what I think is m- much more interesting about the movie than the business of manufacturing is the cultural divide between the United States and China um, this movie is about two cultures that seemingly cannot really communicate with one another um, and it goes way beyond the linguistic barriers um, it's also about about ad- cultural attitudes toward work and leisure time and family and sacrifice and dedication and um, I don't know it's a, uh, to me it's a it, it was a virtually perfect documentary in the sense that it I think illustrates the challenges we have as a global society entering this new decade and uh, it's maybe the most impressive thing about it is it doesn't really take one side or the other going into it I assumed you know ha- having it be backed by Obama that it would be a very pro labor pro union film. And yet the movie is very even-handed in the way that it shows that some of the union tactics are 
I wouldn't say flawed, but maybe misdirected or a missed opportunity in some ways. So uh, it's a really awesome documentary. It's a very fly-on-the-wall documentary. It doesn't have narration. It's not a muckraking documentary. It's just a look at these lives that are complex and uh, confused by these cultural barriers. So uh, it, it, it's a really awesome documentary that's worth checking out. And, uh, you know, if the Obamas have this kind of taste, I, I'm excited to see what they produce next. All right. Yeah, I really want to see that one. And uh, and Zach, it's nice to know that you're on a you're on a first name basis with our with our former president and first lady there. Oh uh, well, you know, actually, I call him Barry, but uh, for this podcast, <laughs> I, said, I said Barack. Uh, all right. All right. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a Zach list if a documentary wasn't in the top three. So. That's true. So thank you for not disappointing. And this made Barack Obama's uh, top movie list of the year, even though, again, somewhat uh, incestuous. But uh, you know, that's true. Whatever. That's true. Everyone expect. I mean, how? of course, his own movie was going to be on his top movies of the year. <laughs> All right. Number two on my list is going to be overlap number eight. And that is Marriage Story. Um, Adam already mentioned this one. I'll echo, I'll echo a lot of what he said. Um, I think uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are just brilliant in this movie. And it's a, it's a heart heartbreaking topic that they're able to bring such a sense of realism and, and really humor at times, too. Um, it, it's, it's told brilliantly. Um, I'm so bummed that the buzz for Adam Driver has completely fallen off a cliff due to Joaquin Phoenix just kind of sweeping his way through the season. But um, but he, he's he's incredible, and uh, I, I love this movie. And loved it since I saw it, and it still stays with me. Number two, Marriage Story. Yeah, Marriage Thank Story did, did not make my top ten. It's an honorable mention for me. It has some really strong moments in it. Gets better in the second half. Um, but... Uh, not not quite there. A few too many flaws with it, but I can understand why uh, there's a lot of appeal for it. And, um, you know, Adam Driver for Best Actor. I mean, is that possible? No. But, you know, arguably his performance may be more impressive. I think so. I think so. And look at the year he's had. I mean, combine this with Rise of Skywalker, and then he had The Report. I mean, it, it's... It's, he also had another a zombie movie with Bill Murray called The Dead Don't Die, too. That's oh, right. Yeah. That's, that's right. True. And he's following that up with having his first nomination last year for Black Klansman. So, I mean, he is he has been quite uh, quite impressive the last couple of years. So, uh, definitely someone who... He's going to get an Oscar soon. It, it's only a matter of time. All right. We've made it. Here we go. Number one. Adam, let's go. All right. Get the Patron out of it, ladies and gentlemen. Little oh, there it is. Oh, gosh. Little bottle of Patron. I'm not dumb. I'm not going to. I'm just taking a little sip of it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, number one is A Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. Uh, this film really surprised me. Again, another movie I didn't. I knew of, and I heard you guys. Um, I saw your guys' review on almostsideways.com. Make sure you check it out. Uh, anyway, uh, I saw you guys' uh, your star ratings on it. I was like, I gotta watch this movie. I heard a great buzz about it, and I actually just finished this. On, I watched it on Monday, so uh, this one has been in my complete uh, memory banks for the last couple of days, and completely just thinking about it. Uh, what a just amazing uh, kind of piece of cinema this um, this film was. Uh, 
I, I really enjoyed Snowpiercer, which is a good uh, comic adaption, and Aksha as well went to Netflix by this director. Those are the two films I've seen of his work, and those are really good, but this one completely blows uh, those films out of the water. It's a perfectly blended film that has so much to say, and um, a little bit, little pieces about different things throughout the film. I, I really just really appreciated that too and the, the film peels back layers upon layers throughout the runtime and I was just completely glued to my screen about it too and it, it goes to a place I truly wouldn't I didn't expect it was going to go and right when um, something happens in about you know an hour into the movie I was just like my mouth dropped and I was like what's going to happen next the cast is fantastic in here and uh, I don't I truly believe that the ending wouldn't work in an American movie like I don't I don't think it necessarily uh, I don't think maybe we're capable of making a, a film with that kind of ending there. I, I just think this was just a really great film that uh, that I did predict is going to win Best Picture uh, this year at the Oscars. I think this will definitely be one of the first foreign films to win uh, Best Picture, and it's definitely deserving. It's, it might even uh, sneak its way in probably my top of the decade, too, if we're doing top 25. I, I, it's, it's up there. It's definitely something that's uh, – it's, it's going to be talked about a lot, just uh, the 1 versus 99%. I thought that was, uh, was really great great stuff from all around film for me all right what do you guys think of the uh of the idea that uh bong joon ho is uh developing this into a mini series for i think it was hbo yeah uh it's strange but i mean if he's the more opportunities he gets to make make his stories then i guess more power to him yeah i'm not sure how it would fit as a as a series but well we know that you don't like we know that you don't like spinoffs that air on tv todd so (laughs) or or, you like them but they just don't count as as anything real (laughs) right uh all right todd number one all right my number one is uncut gems like it, it's the most stressful and intense movie in a long time. The, the Southies just drop us into the Diamond District, and it's just this fast-paced world. They weave in the mob, the, the NBA, a rising pop star, or hip-hop star, and, like, all centered on, like, this all-time performance by Adam Sandler. It's, it's so incredibly my speed, as Terry said. Like, it... I, but I have no problem recommending it to everybody else, because it just is that good. So even if you don't... You're not into gambling or, like, uh seeing sandler like explore his serious side or whatever like there's still so much to love about this it's a thriller that isn't a thriller it's like it's like a a shock to the system it's like smacks you in the face and it leaves you just stupefied it is something else like this movie is alive and crazy and it is clearly the best movie i saw in 2019 so uh so possibly my favorite uh reaction that came out of uh Oscar nomination morning on Monday was from Adam Sandler. Uh, yeah. He he tweet he tweeted out it was something that said something like uh, bad news Sandman didn't get the Oscar nomination. Good news Sandman doesn't have to wear suits anymore. Um, congratulations to all the all the nominees, especially Mama, and has a picture of Kathy Bates from The Water Boy. Really good. I loved it. That was a great. And she nice. and she po- she posted a response of like, "Oh my Bobby Boucher, I love you so much." So, it it was told. It was it was cool. It was so awesome. Anyways, all right, Zach, 
Number one. Well, thanks a lot, Terry. You just stole my quote of the day. I was, that, that oh. Was... <laughs> now I got to come up with something on the fly. Uh, I'll think of something. My number one is also Uncut Gems. A great choice by Todd. I commend you. It is the ultimate Todd film, but that does not mean it's inaccessible. It is totally accessible. Um, my wife knows nothing about sports gambling and hates sports, and uh, she loved it too. In fact, the conversation that we had after the movie for about 30 minutes was about if you could if you could forgive someone for cheating if they got a tattoo of their name of your name on their ass which uh is, is a great sort of philosophical conversation to have like yeah, everyone talks about marriage stories the movie about relationships this year no you know uncut gems has a lot to say about uh, relationships both marital and extramarital um it is as todd said just you know uh pulsating uh it, you you have no clue where it's going next there's so many side pieces to it uh the thing that i mentioned on the podcast uh, i'll mention again i love like the minor characters in this movie like the the chick that works at the counter at the auction house is awesome in this movie the guy who's in the back who's actually cutting up the stone is great no one ever mentions Lakeith Stanfield like this movie is out of this world with great minor performances um and uh the thing that happens at the end of this movie, I I don't think I can remember being at a movie where there was a gasp, and uh, uh, you know if you've seen this movie, you know the part I'm talking about uh, the, that happens at the end of this movie, the, the way that people audibly gasped in the theater because it was engrossing and compelling, and it also signaled that the movie was essentially over, and it's just a uh, an awesome way to conclude it. The Safdie brothers are geniuses. Uh, you know what? Um, screw the Academy. I I knew the minute this movie came out that the Academy would overlook it because. You know, just like my number one of last year, Leave No Trace, the Academy has no real taste, no real credibility, and screw them. Bobby Boucher deserved an Oscar nomination and a win. This is, I never thought he would ever get better than Punch Drunk Love. The key is wearing uh, blue suits. That's gotta be it for Adam Sandler. Just gotta do that. Grown Ups 4, be in a blue suit the whole time. That's, that's the way wear, to do it. Wear a Furby on a chain. Furby on a chain. Yeah. Have you guys seen the pictures that have uh, compared his outfit in uh, Uncut Gems to uh, Lando Calrissian? Yeah, Billy D. It's, Williams and him went back that. and forth on that. Yeah, Billy D. Williams actually is the one that posted it. <laughs> it's uh. pretty great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I hear not what you guys are saying. It, yeah, Uncut Gems might need to move up. It's staying put for now. So once again. There's overlap at a position for Todd and Zach, and there's overlap at the position for me and Adam. My number one is Parasite. Um, you guys have talked so much about it, I don't have to say much more. And honestly, the less you say about this movie, the better. Just go see it. I mean, this is what we said when we went and, when we saw it uh, a while back. Just go see it. Uh, don't read anything about it. Don't Don't find anything else. Don't look for spoilers. Just see the movie and love it and enjoy it because it is it's so good in every aspect um yeah it, it's it's amazing go see parasite if you can go see parasite um definitely worth it and i'm so glad it got the best picture nomination which is going to uh make it something that a lot of people will see that wouldn't have normally seen it so that's my number one okay there's our top tens let's do a uh a quick run through of a, of a few honorable mentions, and uh, and we'll go from there. Um, Adam, we'll go to you first. Give us a uh, give us a few that just missed. Uh, can I uh, can I go back to the the dishonorable mention? I kind of had some gimmicks I wanted to show throw out there. Oh, okay. Oh, wouldn't be that without you know. Wouldn't be Adam without the gimmicks. Uh, dishonorable mention is the Houston Astros and the Red Sox. <laughs> 
uh, for cheating. Uh, Sony. What? The Red Sox oh, go ahead. didn't cheat. Yo, they did. 2018 World Series. Alex Cora got fired, too. And Carlos Beltran might get fired today, too. Hey, it took years to win that World Series. Yeah. Uh, Sony for releasing the Spider-Man trailer before Endgame came out. Didn't he disappear in in, uh, Infinity War? Uh, Game of Thrones Season 8 was horrible. And probably the biggest one was the windmill windmill inn. Dishonorable mention. (laughs) All right, so getting real here. uh, Some uh, honorable mentions. We're concluding. uh, We're not counting shows, but there was some really great television out there, too, like Watchmen, Mandalorian, and Unbreakable. Unbelievable, sorry, for Netflix. Uh, honorable mentions, I have to go with uh, uh, just missing out. John Wick Chapter 3, Knives Out, Book Smart, Paddleton, Us, Jojo Rabbit, and probably my two favorite documentaries, Fire and The One Child Nation, which I was surprised to get a nomination as well. All right, all right. Todd. All right, uh, my, I'll just go 11 through 15. My 11 was, was Marriage Story. My number 12 was a long shot. I know that you all hated it, but that movie well, that's was a good, wow. That's a good movie. That's Jeez. a good movie. I enjoyed wow. it. Wow. Uh, my number 13 <laughs> is uh, Julia Hart's uh, Fast Color. Uh, number 14, Ad Astra. Number 15 was <laughs> Us. Space Monkeys. Space Monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Space Pirates. What? <laughs> what did you say it was 15? Space Us. Pirates. Oh, okay. us. us. Gotcha. Okay. Zach, how about you? Okay, uh, my number 11 was Transit, uh, the Kristen Petzold film. Um, really good movie. A very Zach movie. Probably should have made my top 10. My number 12 was Marriage Story. My number 13 is Peanut Butter Falcon. Number 14 is Fire, the greatest party that never happened, the Netflix documentary about the Fire Festival. Just a really awesome documentary. And uh, number 15, a movie that really could have been like my number one of the year if it actually had a good editor, is uh, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, which had some moments in it that were just transcendent and beautiful. But as we so often say with Terrence Malick, um, it was way too indulgent and overlong. But uh, there were powerful moments in it. I want to put, this isn't a dishonorable mention. I just want to, the way that Todd just pissed everyone off on the podcast with his long shot thing, I just want to piss everyone off by saying... uh, once Upon a Time in Hollywood is number 39 on my list of the year. Annabelle Comes Home is number 38. Mic drop. What? That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you saw Annabelle Comes Home? I did, Annabelle. and, and I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that's the bigger news. <laughs> the, the third I, I, act of Annabelle Comes Home is like the end game of the Conjuring universe. All these different that is, it, was, it was very emotional, almost as emotional as Tony Stark. No, but yeah. I have Peanut Butter Falcon number ninety six on my list. No one cares, Todd. No one cares. <laughs> no one else has a number ninety six of this year. <laughs> well, wait, hold on a second. What's my number ninety six? I haven't seen one hundred and seventeen. So give me a second. Let me get. Ha! <laughs> Goodness played... gracious! What was that number ninety six there, Todd? You said that was Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay, give me a second. Let me um. Trying to get signed in here. All right. Well, while he's doing that, I'll go over my honorable mentions. So my my eleven to fifteen here. I've got uh, number eleven is the farewell. Uh, number twelve is uh, oh, let's see here. Which one am I gonna go with? I'll go with us. Number twelve. 
Uh, number 13 is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number 14 is Midsummer, And number 15, Blinded by the Light. Hmm. Um, I think I'm still the only one that's seen that. Definitely, uh, definitely worth a watch, though, if you guys haven't seen it yet. Um, actually, I didn't even realize this till afterwards. One of the the guy who plays his best friend in Blinded by the Light is um, is one of the leads in 1917. Um, so, nice. uh, so yeah. Anyways, did you figure it out, Adam? Yeah, and this is no joke. Number 96 is Annabelle Comes Home. I'm, I'm dead yes. serious. That's <laughs> <laughs> Good call, Adam. Oh, that's that is that's funny. funny. Deep dive right. next time. Have you seen it, Terry? No, no, I haven't seen any of the Annabelle movies. Where do you have All it right. ranked, Todd? I have not seen them. What? Oh, I think this needs to be a assignment in the future. It's, it's a good Chris, movie. Yeah. It, it, it's but. a good one, right, Adam? It's certainly better than Annabelle uh, 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 Creation, or whatever that one was. That no, one was terrible. Annabelle, Annabelle Creation's actually the good one. Oh. The first Annabelle was the bad <laughs> I one. I don't know what you're talking about. Annabelle Creation and I actually, is garbage. I enjoyed uh, The Curse of La Llorona better than Annabelle Comes Home, which is the Spanish uh, Conjuring film, Connected Universe. Okay. So uh, before we wrap this up, I have our uh, our top five for uh, for almost sideways. While you guys have been BSing back and forth, I've been quickly tabulating. Uh, I want to leave your list so quickly. How I've been? It it was quick. It was like you teach math or something. Yeah, it's like I teach math or something. I really like spreadsheets. Um, Okay, so our our top five of the uh of the year almost sideways number five is marriage story uh number four is once upon a time in hollywood number three is 1917 number two i mean technically it's a tie but i'm gonna say number two is parasite and number one is uncut gems i'm good with that i'm good with that so there, there's our, there's our top five. Just missing uh, the only, the only other ones that were overlaps. Jojo Rabbit was six. Knives Out was seven. Midsummer was eight. And we had eight overlaps, eight of them. That's a first. That, that's insane. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Do we have, do we have quotes? I do. Go to quote, quote of the, of the day. All right. Quote of the year. Quote of the year. Um, Adam, you're our guest. You get to go first. All right. I think this is uh, really fitting for the podcast. Or I might just uh, pull an audible at the last minute here. Who knows? Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, Quote of the year for me is from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's the narrator speaking is, when you come to the end of the line with a buddy who is more like a brother and a little less than a wife, Getting blind drunk together is really the only way to say farewell. And it's kind of fitting to close the podcast with that, probably. Yes. There you go. All right. Todd, what's your quote? All right. Well, my quote of the year to, uh, you know, uh, continue with tradition, uh, one of our quotes of the year will be from Alpha Dog. Because (laughs) 
That's what Zach decided he was going to do last year. <laughs> and so this is a Frankie Ballenbacher played by Justin Timberlake. He's like, Jurgen's a botanist. He grows everything we need right here. Tomatoes, cucumbers, corn, f***ing spices and shit. Motherfucker's a full-blown alcoholic, smokes like a chimney, but goddamn if we don't eat healthy, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good movie. Uh... All right, Zach... Did you come up with something to replace I mean, what I spoiled for you? Nothing was going to be as good as that tweet. I'm going back it to... It was such a great tweet. I'm going to go back to Adam Driver's best performance prior to this year, which was as Barry Egan in Punch Drug Love. And it's uh, a scene where he's uh, torn apart the kitchen in rage. And uh, he talks to his brother-in-law and he says, I, I wanted to ask you something because you're a doctor. I don't like myself sometimes. Can you help me? And his brother-in-law says, Barry, I'm a dentist. <laughs> Well done. However, we will assume you said Adam Sandler, not Adam Driver. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's the Aquafina getting to him. Yeah, yes. all right. Uh, did you just say the Aquafina? Aquafina. I think you said Aquafina is getting, getting to him. Aquafina getting to Adam Driver. I, I, had to, I had to point that out. Oh, I, I, I man. caught it, but I didn't want to draw attention to it. My, my, uh, so my quote of the year comes from Adam Daly. Uh, oh, no, God. No. <laughs> <laughs> My, my my quote of the year. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my number one of the year. That's Parasite. Uh, there's there's a couple quotes that uh, uh the the one respect. one of my, my favorite scene. Well, that was the, that's the that's the one right there. Respect, <laughs> respect. I I, I I immense respect for your list and and everything we've done so far this year. But the other one, I love the little the little uh, Jessica only child Illinois Chicago. I that that's like my my favorite scene of like the entire year. Is that just little. <laughs> I just a little thing there, but uh, but yeah, respect. That's what I got. Respect. As much crap as I give you guys, respect. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you guys uh, for being here, uh, and to all you listening, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. I believe our next podcast is going to be counting down the top ten movies of the decade. Now that we've wrapped up the twenty tens, and uh, so we'll be coming to you with that fairly soon, and uh, so be looking out for that. Again, check us out, almostsideways.com. You'll be able to find all our content there. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.